everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and so much more. I'm a registered nurse. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book. I'm the mother of many, and I'm also the author of the new book, Mom's Side of the Story, the place for women to write themselves into their pregnancy and birth stories, to plan their prenatal care and births, and to process the most transformative years of your lives. Okay, I just heard the big news that both Meghan Markle and Amy Schumer had their baby boys. Congratulations, mamas, and thanks for taking us all along on your journeys, though I must say in such very different ways. I love how Amy just kept it all out there, showing us all of it and keeping it so very real. So hilarious. She was great. Megan. <laughs> She just made it hers. She added her elegance and she put up with all of us who followed along. It was great. Baby boys. Oh my gosh, you're in for such a good time. Oh, what else? Um, This week, let's talk about what's going on with the presidential candidates. All of a sudden, Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren are adding maternal health and reproductive health to their platforms. And we're hearing a lot about the maternal mortality crisis and the lack of high quality, affordable health care that so many women face in the United States. And, you know, we're hearing about how that directly impacts women's health and well-being and therefore the health and well-being of their children. Um, I'm really encouraged by this. I say, wow, bring it on, ladies. This is what we need to be talking about. The real life issues that impact our real lives. You know, so often I feel like candidates running for public offices just kind of spout sound bites that don't really mean anything. You know, like they have a few little catchphrases that they all like to say, real jobs for real Americans or, you know, health care for all or whatever. But, you know, what do they actually mean? What are they, what do their policies look like? And I, you know, what I want is I, I want to know where's the practical stuff we really need to know. And it seems like now that more women are running for offices, we're actually getting down to it. And I just got to say, yes, please, let's talk about all the reasons why the U.S. maternal health care system lets women down. And yes, let's talk about the economic issues that are part of most of our daily lives and our children's lives. Let's talk about our small businesses and our daily jobs. Let's talk about the price of rent and childcare and houses and education and healthcare. Let's talk about incarceration and gender inequality. Please, let's talk about that. And yes, we're early days in this presidential race, and we still have a lot of folks tossing their hats into the ring. But seriously, if any candidate can't address these these issues right now, right out of the gate, then I really don't know what they have to offer me. <clears throat> I'm really ready for something so startlingly different and real from what we have in office now that, you know, another plain vanilla presidential platform just won't do. Gentlemen, the ladies have stuff to say, and we are listening to them. You'd better step it up if you want me to hear you. Let's see what else. Sunday, May 5th was International Day of the Midwife, and I hope that those same candidates and most women in America know that midwives are the answer to so many of our country's poor maternal health problems. Now, we've known this for decades, 
We see how it works in the United Kingdom and the Netherlands and other countries with great outcomes. Midwives get the job done. And what we need now is, you know, a, we need more than just talking points when it comes to healthcare. We need a revolutionary new approach, especially to providing women's healthcare. Candidates, can we talk about that, please? Uh, what else is going on? Duh, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you mamas out there. And papas, I sure hope you've got something special in mind for the mothers in your life. I am a big fan of celebrating the people you love, celebrating great accomplishments and those who support you. And if that doesn't just describe your mother in some way, then I don't know what does. Now, if you've listened back to earlier Mother's Day episodes, um, you've all heard me mention that Mother's Day actually started in part as a protest by women who were sick of sending their sons off to war to be killed. Now it's a multi-billion dollar industry and a beloved day where moms get presents. Honestly, I love getting presents. I love celebrating and I love being a mom. And I'm very glad that there's a day where all of that gets recognized. Mother's Day is a great thing. It's also the one day of the year when all eyes are on mothers, you know, and I'd encourage you to kind of make a difference with what you do with Mother's Day this year. Head on over to my favorite nonprofit organization that's working to reduce maternal mortality and to increase access to healthcare for women all over the world, including here in the U.S. Go uh, check out everymothercounts.org. And then while you're at it, go check out promujer.org. I'll spell that. That's P-R-O-M-U-J-E-R.org. They're working specifically with women throughout Latin America and supporting mothers is a big part of their mission too. And of course, y'all know I love care.org, reducing global poverty by working with women to change their financial futures. Now, if you want to do something for mothers in your lives that will last longer than a one-week bouquet, make a, don a donation in her honor um, over on their web pages. Every Mother Counts also has a really beautiful shop with lovely gifts that help support the organization. So you've got a little something you can wrap up there too. Uh, and of course, we want you to come on over to jeanfaulkner.com and pick up some of our brand new merch and books um, and give, you know, give our presents to the mothers in your life. Okay, we're going to take a real quick break and then we're going to come on back and talk about one of the most influential and driving factors in every woman's health care, her chart. Okay. We are back, uh, and I want to talk about charting. You know, with healthcare providers clicking away on computers during every visit and medical encounter, we decided it was time to have a conversation about the role that documentation plays in the healthcare dynamic. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you may be the one person in the world whose doctor, nurse, or midwife does not chart on a computer in front of you. For all the rest of us, we know it's part of the program. You know, whoever it is that's taking care of us from, you know, the person who checks you in at the front desk all the way, you know, through your experience, your providers are taking notes, clicking boxes, and writing down all kinds of information about us as we answer an endless stream of questions. But what are they actually writing? And does it really tell our healthcare story accurately? Now, as a writer, 
I spend a lot of time thinking about the power there is in writing things down, of setting intentions, observations, and you know, putting plans in motion by taking them out of our heads and putting them down in print, or you know, as with medical records in the computer. It um, kind of puts plans in motion. But in our healthcare relationship, there's usually only one side of the story being documented, and that's the healthcare provider's side. Um, do they get the story right? Are they shaping the story with, you know, their own objectives and perspectives and experiences and understanding? Do they have their own agenda with their chart? You know, yes. Charting takes up a huge amount of our appointment time, but are there advantages to the way we document patient care now and, um, you know, than the way we used to do it? And, you know, another good question, I think, is should women be documenting their own care, both as a way to guide its direction and as a way to create their own record of what went down in the prenatal office or delivery room? or as a way to tell their side of the birth story from their own perspective. And I say, yes, they should. And in fact, if we're really going to change the way women have babies here in the U.S. and around the world, then women need to be in charge of the narrative. And so that's what we're going to talk about today with Chris Beard, certified nurse midwife, who has been on the podcast a lot, a lot of times and works here at Kaiser Permanente in Portland, Oregon. So let's get Chris on the phone. Hey, Chris, it's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, Jeannie. I'm good. How are you? Doing okay. Oh my God, the weather these days. I couldn't be happier. How about you? I am gazing out the window at two unbelievably beautiful dogwood trees, and I just love this time of year in Portland. Oh, me too. My dogwood tree is just such a show off. And even now, you know, like two weeks ago, it was that vibrant fuchsia flamingo kind of pink almost. And it's fading, but it's just as gorgeous. It's just stunning. It, I agree. Yeah. The most exciting thing happening in my yard, and listeners, really, we will get to the point soon, but there are more important things in life. The most important thing going on in my yard right now is that I have this probably 15-year-old birdhouse given to me as a Mother's Day gift, and um, it sits on a fence post out in my yard, and I absolutely love this thing. And... Um, probably five years ago, a, a hive of mason bees used it. They flew in and out all summer and I was thrilled with it, but nothing else has ever happened with it. And this year I have two nesting birds in it. It's awesome. so much fun. Yeah. I was so excited about it. So I took a little two second video of it and put it up on my blog. It's just adorable and I just can't get enough of it. <laughs> That's awesome. I think I think we're going to have chicks. I think we're going to have baby birds. Oh, fun. I know. I know. It's the funnest thing. Anyways. So, Chris, all our listeners know you by now. So we can be a bit more casual than asking our usual who are you and what do you do question. But why don't you just introduce yourself to listeners again? Uh, my name's Chris Beard. I'm a nurse midwife in Portland, Oregon. I have worked at Kaiser Permanente for 23 years. 23 years is a good stretch of time. It is a good stretch of time. I just passed my anniversary. Wow. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. I bet you have no real idea how many babies you've delivered. Well, I keep a log, but I don't know what the current total is. I would gather, I would say it's probably 
3500 ish something like that somewhere in that neighborhood i've had you know what there are small towns that have fewer people than that it's true it's true <laughs> yeah yeah and some of those babies are grown as adults now oh a lot of those babies are grown as adults and the most yeah. the most fun thing i received in the mail last year was a graduation announcement from one of my babies who was graduating from the University of Oregon. Isn't that crazy? Hmm. Hmm. It is crazy kind of in the perspective that, you know, that kind of stuff happens to me too, that, you know, all those, all those decades of delivering those babies or being at the bedside, they went and grew up. And then you see them sometimes in the community and you think, or you see their parents, you don't know the kids, you know, obviously, but you see the parents. And if you recognize them, you go, how did that happen? Uh, how did that happen so quickly? It's the right amount of time to go by. We all know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to talk to you about today, Chris, is something that um, has had a huge impact, I think, in the role of um, prenatal care, maternal health care, and kind of women's stories as mothers. And it's the, it's, the documentation piece. Um, I think that the role of documentation or, you know, charting plays a huge role in women's health care and specifically in prenatal and obstetric care. And we're all trained in, you know, nursing and midwifery and medical school that if it isn't documented, it didn't happen. If you didn't write down a pill, a patient, or a procedure, then you have no proof that you provided the care, Right. Is that how it was Correct. for you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So just kind of given that, what is your kind of, what's your relationship to charting in medical records? I mean, is it like a, a, a challenging, daunting, horrible one, or are you good with it? <clears throat> I am, I am good with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I work in a group practice, so I feel like my documentation is my conversation with my colleagues who may be taking care of my patient at some point in the future, either yeah. in labor or for a prenatal visit while I'm out of town or for an emergency <laughs> visit. And so I use my documentation as a communication tool um, for folks who are going to be caring for my patients when I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, I have a small caseload of patients that I care for and I know them really well. So I don't, I do review the documentation before I see them, but you know, by the time they're 20 weeks pregnant or so we have a relationship going. So mm -hmm. I know what's been going on for them. Um, but if they've seen another provider in it, since I've seen them, then I, I use that as a conversation. To, to know what's been to know what's been going on with them, so I I look at what my colleagues have documented and, and I I I update myself on what's been going on with my patients. Okay, I know. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say we have um, an electronic medical record, which is inc an incredibly powerful tool. Some people hate it. Some people love it. I'm I'm more neutral about it, and I'm just in awe of all the things that it can do. And tell me more about that. Cause I've heard way more. You always do from the haters. Well, you can go into a patient's record and click on a lab value and look at the trend. 
Like if I'm looking to see what somebody's platelets have been doing over their pregnancy, I can click on the platelet and push graph or push last eight values and it just pulls all those up for me. So rather than going back and looking at each individual visit for that, for uh, each individual date to see what were the platelets on that date, what were the plates on that, I can just push this button and there's a graph for me that shows me they're trending up, they're trending down, they're staying stable. Um, yeah. I can, when I'm seeing a new patient, um, if the name sounds vaguely familiar, I can click a button that tells me if I've ever seen that patient before for anything. Mm-hmm. I can go into a patient's history and look and see what their previous three pregnancies were like, basically at a glance. I can click on mm-hmm. something called episode and I can get a summary of their last three pregnancies. Um, I can see a patient attach a note to their primary pregnancy provider and send a copy of my visit to that person right that day so that they can, when they come back to the office, they'll see that as staff message. And I can say, you know, Julie was here today. She's doing much better than last week. Just wanted you to know. Hmm. So I love this perspective. I love hearing this because I have heard from so many providers that they have felt that it is a real impediment in their relationship with their patient, that it takes up way too much of their time and that it cuts into their ability to really relate during their patient care time. Well, it's interesting because, you know, many places that use the electronic medical record expect that you will use it in the room with the patient. So you're basically sitting at a computer station interacting with the patient. And I made the personal decision that that was not how I wanted to provide care. So I have a little, what's called the patient, it's called a PST, and I don't even know what that stands for, but I have a sheet that my medical assistant gives me that has the patient's name and their current vitals and, you know, basic information about them. It's a one-page thing. I sit on my stool. I look the patient in the eye. I talk to them. I find out what's going on. I jot little notes to myself on that PST. And so when I'm with my patient, I'm in or I'm with them 100% unless they want me to look something up for them, in which case mm-hmm. I will open the computer and look something up for them. When I'm done with my patient, I go to my office and I spend the two to five minutes it takes to update their chart and then I'm done. So I think- And your, your facility is okay with that? That you've got the autonomy and authority to be able to make that choice? Well, I have a certain amount of time for a patient visit and I have expectations about what's to be charted at the patient visit and no Mm -hmm. one's following me around and saying, why aren't you doing that in the room? Because Mm -hmm. I'm still doing what I different for nurses. Yes. And I'm still doing what I need to do, but I made the Mm -hmm. decision that um, my patients deserve my full attention and that I needed to be efficient and, um, and up to date on how to chart, not taking up my patient time. Does that make yeah. sense? It's, it does. And it's, it's, a, it's a, a powerful use of time management that is really valuable, I think. But it's also something that because you are a healthcare provider, because you're a midwife and you're not a, a nurse, you have the privilege of being able to use your time that way. And nurses have to I mean, it used to be when we first started doing um, electronic charting, 
that's how we could do it. We could go in and do our patient care. And then we came out and we sat at the desk and we did our charting. But then it got into the situation where, no, they wanted real-time charting. And so now we are supposed to be you know, providing excellent patient care, looking our patient in the eye, and providing the best quality high-tech computer charting all at once. A lot of nurses are really, really good at it. Really good at it. <laughs> it's amazing. And that's the difference between prenatal care and bedside hospital care, I think, is that, yes. you know, I have, I have the luxury because I have this allotted mm-hmm. amount of time to be with my patients. And then I have a desk I can go back to and do my charting. And I don't always yeah. do it. Um, you know, I have to put the patient instructions in and orders and sign those things off before the patient leaves because they're going to need that information. Mm-hmm. But if I have mm-hmm. a complicated note to write, I can do that later. I can do that when I have uh, maybe somebody who isn't checked in yet, or maybe I have a few minutes, my lunch hasn't started yet, or maybe I'm doing it over my lunch. Um, so I don't yeah. necessarily do it. I don't co- necessarily complete each chart by the time the patient walks out the door, but um, mm-hmm. I want my patients to feel like I was there with them a hundred percent when they're sitting in my exam room. So I, I love the medical, I love the electronic medical record. There are things about it that I don't love, but, but I've chosen to see it as, uh, an incredibly valuable tool with all the things that it can do. So let's identify the roles that the EMR and EMR listeners is electronic medical record. And that's a mouthful. So we're going to say EMR. Right? Is that what you that's call what it? I call, well, we just call yeah. it Epic because that's our brand. That's our brand name. Oh, that's yeah, that's your brand. Okay. Oh well, and they just got a little brand shout out. Um, EMR. So let, I want to talk about the roles that the EMR plays in the healthcare dynamic, and you know we've already talked about how it um, it, it it provides the patient's medical history. Um, it provides a documentation of tests and treatments. It's a communication tool between healthcare providers. It represents the care plan that's laid out between the patient, the provider, and various other you know providers that are involved on the team. And it provides a paper trail of the care that you prov- you gave to that patient in case you need to, you know, you're in some sort of medical leg- legal situation later. If I missed anything? Well, in our system, patients actually have access to their chart. So yeah, more and more that's happening. So they can, do they get access to everything? I think there are some things they do not have access to, and they don't have access to labs and ultrasounds till they've been reviewed by a provider, but they have access to, mm-hmm. I would say the bulk of what's in their chart. Do they have access to provider yes, notes? Oh, that's interesting. So I want to touch back on that in a little bit. But I've got a couple of other things I want to ask before that um, to kind of, I, I kind of wanted to look back a little bit. I mean, do you think that the records that we keep as health providers, you know, both in the EMR and, you know, back in the day when it was paper charting, do you think that they are an accurate representation of a pregnant woman's health profile, lifestyle, and you know, her general well-being? I think they're an accurate representation of what the provider sees. I don't think mm-hmm. they're the whole picture. Obviously, they're not the whole picture. It's mm-hmm. one side of the story. Right. They're an 
They're, they're a perspective. perspective. They're an it's accurate a- perspective of things from the medical framework. Yeah. 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 So what I'm curious about is what's missing, you know? And I, and I think that for a lot of people, you know, a lot of us grew up, a, a lot of women that are becoming, you know, mothers today, they grew up with the charting dynamic that we see today. They are computer generation. They're into it. They get it. This is how they've always had this relationship with their healthcare provider. But for a lot of people, especially, you know, people that haven't had as, maybe they don't have as much digital literacy or haven't had as much opportunity to experience a lot of different healthcare settings, it can be a little daunting and confusing. And I wonder if we're getting the other, the, the story accurately, you know, because most, you know, I've had some healthcare you know, procedures done recently where there wasn't a single provider who wasn't talking to the computer. And, you know, it, it does feel weird as the patient of, oh, they're just here to ask me a bunch of questions, you know, which is why I really value the way that you do it. And I wish that that was more of an option for how patient care is delivered. So that's me rambling. What, what percentage of your time do you think you spend documenting care now? Mm. And, you know, when you're looking at your work day, how, how much of your work day does it take up? 30% between mm. reviewing labs and ultrasounds and, and answering patient emails, which is a form of documentation and charting for the patients for the day, probably 30%. Mm-hmm. So then the other 70% you get to spend in patient care. Yes. That's a really perfect, to me, that seems like a really great dynamic or balance. Is it different than when you did paper charting? Oh, when I did. Because you and I go back a ways, girl. You and I go back to paper charting. That was fun, right? Yes. Well, I was just remembering that one of the hospitals I worked in, everybody had a clipboard. They didn't even have a, yeah, they didn't even have a chart. It's like those, you know, you still see them on the soap operas where they're flipping open the clipboard to do the patient charting. And um, yeah, and the clipboard hangs off the end of the bill. Correct. With a piece of yeah. tape that has the patient <laughs> name on it. Um, right. <laughs> so back in the days of paper charting, you know, we didn't chart that much, at least for prenatal care. You just charted the bare bones. You weren't necessarily yeah. writing a soap note for every patient. You were just filling in the blanks on this, you know, on the paper chart. So soap note, we got to talk about soap note. Subjective, objective, assessment, and plan. That's how we're trained to chart. Subjective. You do it. You do it. Subjective, what the patient tells you. Objective, Uh your your clinical mathematical findings, like what's their fundal height, what's their fetal heart rate. (laughs) Assessment, uh, what's your assessment of their situation? Like for me, assessment is always... Um, interuterine pregnancy at X weeks, size equals dates, labs do, blah, 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 and then the plan. So, mm-hmm. you know, I still write a soap. I do write a soap note for every prenatal patient I see, a very short soap note. Um, it's a good outline. It's a great outline, and it, and it really helps me organize my thoughts and make the plan for the patient for what they need next. Yeah. 
I think it's really valuable. And, you know, my experience, you know, I, I was an old school nurse too, and then transitioned into electronic charting. And it wasn't a hard transition for me. And I actually thought it was pretty fun. Um, and I did find that <clears throat> since I'm super fast at a keyboard, it gave me the opportunity to be able to provide more detail about my experience with my patient than I could, you know, handwrite in the amount of time mm-hmm. I had allotted before. Mm-hmm. So that's a valuable thing. Um, I have a lot of concerns with how much documentation we're doing and for what purposes we're doing them now. And I wonder, um, I know that you can't speak to the nursing perspective, you know, as a nurse, but you work with nurses all day long. I'm wondering, you know, how, what percentage do you think their day, their work day is? Computer Uh, charting. I would guess for my labor and delivery colleagues, it's way more than 50% because they're, they're at the bedside and they are, you know, they're having to document ridiculous amounts. I mean, ridiculous frequencies about, you know, Mm -hmm. the fetal heart rate tracing, the patient coping and, um, and I don't even know what else because I don't do their charting, but they spend a lot of time on the computer and the computer is in the patient room but it's a different patient experience than it was, you know, back in the day when you and I were working side by side because yeah, really because different. we would scribble on the, on the, on the fetal monitor strip, CNM in room, right. patient to hands and knees, whatever. And, and then we yeah. would go back yeah. later and, and We'd rip it and, off and maybe, <laughs> you know, construct a note. And now they're at the computer documenting, you know, copious notes in real time. And, and I I assume that's for medical legal purposes. Um, but since it's not my charting, I don't know what the rationale is besides that, because I think that there are so many, you know, we have so much documentation that gives us a picture of what's going on with the patient. This is much of what we do is absolutely redundant. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It's for medical legal documentation. And that's a big chunk of a nurse's yeah. job is creating the medical defense record. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's not generally the job that most youngsters go into the field thinking that's what they're going to do. If they were going to be techies, they probably would have gone into IT or be working for Google or something and making better money. Very but, true. Yeah. Very yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've all said... I know I've said it, that a perfect shift shift would be one where all you did was take care of patients and you never had to write any of it down. It could even be the craziest shift where it was just patient after patient and birth after birth and, you know, stuff was flying everywhere. We'd be fine with that. We'd be totally cool with that. We'd love it. Just take care of the patients. You didn't have to write anything down. Oh my God, it'd be so good. <laughs> and I feel lucky that in, in my role, I don't have to write things down. I, I'm only expected to do, to document in the patient's chart every two to three hours, an assessment. Yeah. I think we have to do like every yeah. 15 minutes. So that's, that's a very At different least. thing. And I agree with you. I don't, I don't love the only way, the only way I like, the only aspect of having to document that I like is it causes me to sit down and look at the big picture and reflect. Yeah. And I think for me as a person, yeah. that's helpful in my care of the patient. 
But if I didn't have to ever document again, I would be fine with that. And what's really from the nursing perspective is we are looking at it from the moment to moment perspective with our eye on the ultimate goal. But our job isn't to look at it every two to three hours. Our job is to look at it all the darn time and collect the data so that later another provider can look at the big picture. I mean, we're all doing our piece of the puzzle. We all have to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to, nurses have to do that while we're also providing patient care and starting IVs and getting new, you know, checks under patients' butts and changing the sheets and getting them up and doing all of that. It's a hard job. Nurses, you have a hard job. We love you. Yeah. Yeah. So how much documentation do most patients do? Well, that is a good question. I do not know. I have some patients who bring in lists of questions either on paper or on their phone to ask and discuss at their visits. I have some patients who bring in beautiful pregnancy journals, um, but I don't know how much documentation patients actually do. If they're journalers, it's not really part part of our, I mean, they probably do most of it when they leave or before they come Mm -hmm. and I'm not privy to their Mm -hmm. inner thoughts, but Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I don't know how much they do. I've had a lot of, you know, women tell me that it's a really new experience for them to be a patient. Um, and they come to it, you know, they've, they've been a kid and their parents were the ones who went with them to their doctor or their, you know, their nurse practitioner's office and answered the questions. And it was somebody else who kind of kept their history in their head and they know it, but they, maybe they don't know all the details or maybe they hadn't really explained it in a way that would make sense in the situation they're in now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I've had people say, well, what do I need to know? I mean, what are they... I don't really know what I'm supposed to to say when I get in there. And, you know, I think it's something that women need help with. You know, how do you get the story of your health and your health care and your, your, you know, all the pieces of the puzzle that are going to go into who you are as a mother and who you are as a pregnant woman? How do you get all of that? out of your head and out of your, you know, your family relationships and into an accurate uh, conversation between yourself and your healthcare provider. And I think that a lot of people come to that pretty ill-equipped. What do you think? I think you're right. I mean, I, I think pregnancy is the first time for a lot of women where they are, you know, most women are, who are pregnant are young and healthy. And they haven't had interaction with the system. So, you know, I mean, I'll say to my patients, do you have any questions or concerns today? And some of them have a lot and they have their list and others are like, "Mm, no. And I think it's because they haven't thought about it and they don't really have a framework to think about it. Does that make sense? Right, right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. I'm a, you know, a goal setter and a journaler and a writer downer. And I... um have often, I'm often in a situation where I need to get like a big idea out of my head and I need to get it into some sort of a format that is really tangible. And I think that 
is something that, you know, probably most people do, especially if they're trying to create something, you know, whether that's a baby or a book or a piece of art, you know, they need something to take it out of the brain and put it in the real. And so I, you know, you and I started talking about this idea that I had a couple of years ago, I think, about there ought to be a book. There ought to be a workbook, a journal, something for women to be able to, you know, go week by week and tell their own story, document their own care and provide, you know, really the most pers- important perspective in the whole healthcare dynamic, which is their perspective, their experience, w- women's experiences and stories. So I made a thing and it's up on the website and it's called Mom's Side of the Story. And I'm super excited about it. I want women to do their own documentation and I want to teach that them That is how. so great. I hope so. I hope so. You know, I think that over the good long careers that you and I have had, we have seen some really stark changes in women's experiences in, you know, prenatal care and pregnancy and birth. Some of it has been really, really positive. Some of it is remarkable. Um, I think that we are definitely providing women with more compassionate, dignified, and respectful care than they received, you know, decades ago. Certainly my mother had some pretty horrible stories to tell about degrading and, you know, undignified care when she was giving birth and during her pregnancies. Um, I think that we've come a long, long way. And then I think that in other ways, we're not focusing necessarily on the right things. We're, you know, at least from a nursing perspective and from the medical legal perspective, we are on it. We are looking for trouble and we're going to defend ourselves. And that's what we're going to spend our time doing. But that's not really what the story is about, is it? It's really about that woman. I mean, even more than that baby, it's about that woman and what's her life It's about that woman making a huge transition. Huge Huge transition. transition. That she is not going to be the same person that she was before she took that path. Yeah. She's still going to be her. I mean, it's not like, yeah, it's still going to be that woman, but- the roles that she takes on, the clothes she wears, the things she thinks, her daily responsibilities, the way she takes a deep breath, the way she puts on her shoes, her sex life, her music, every damn thing in her entire universe is going to shift. She ought to be writing it down. She ought to be writing it out. She ought to be taking some ownership over her own story. And then I think that the more that women are taking ownership of their own story, and really, really engaging with their pregnancy and healthcare and birth experiences, I think we're going to shift some of the more negative things that have happened over these decades, which has kind of gotten us into a national situation where we're not really doing the best we can for moms. Our maternal health, our maternal mortality and morbidity rates are pretty atrocious. We've got the worst ones in the developing world here in the United States, and it just doesn't have to be that way. And every year, it, we seem to lose another couple points. You know, one mm-hmm. year we're 17th, one year we're 35th, 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, we are clearly doing something wrong. Yeah. We are clearly doing something wrong. From my humble opinion, we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're really, really focused on the insurance industry. We're really focused on the legal industry. We're really focused on the healthcare industry. We like to put a lot of voice to saying that we're woman-focused, family-focused, patient-focused. But if that's the case, then why are we spending so much time on the computer? You know? Good point. Yeah. If that's the case, why is it that so many women feel that they come through their experiences and their needs have not been met? It's because we're not looking in the right direction. We just need to just move your head to the left a little, people. Instead of looking at the computer, look at that woman. Start asking her, say, hey, what's going on in your life? What are the things that you need that I'm not asking you about? What? You need to know how to get on WIC so that you can actually get some nutritious food. What? You're in a really shitty relationship and you could use some support. What? You have chronic depression and you've never told anybody before. Honey, how can I help you? If we don't know, we can't help. And we're really not set up to do anything more than just say, do you feel safe at home? Yes. Click the box. You know, we could do better. We could do better. We could do better. So I made a thing that I kind of hope is my little part in helping women grab the reins a little bit. And, um, you know, go check it out on the website. I look forward uh, to section and the shop section, mom's side of the story. It's a place for her to put pen to paper and write it out. What are her goals? What does she want? What's going on in her life? What does her body look like? How does she feel about it? Who are the most important people? Who's helping her now? What didn't she understand in that appointment? What did she understand? You know, they bombarded you with 20 different things they want you to do. Do you have to do all of them? Which ones do you think you should do? What do you still have questions about? I mean, it's a place for people to write it out, kind of an outline. Figure things out. Well, it's, I hope it helps. It sounds really awesome, and I cannot wait to see it. I worked with a designer that I just love. You know, one of the things that I've always had a beef about with um, you know, pregnancy books is that they look like they're written for babies. They really do. They're just so damn cute. And it, women are having babies. We're grownups. And so I wanted to, cr- to create something that, you know, women wouldn't mind tossing in their backpacks and their work bags. And, you know, it's not going to feel diminutive and condescending and like they're, we're giving a book to a little kid. So the designer that I worked with is Brenda Rose and she just, I love it. I love what she did. I think it's really gorgeous. I can't wait to see it. And uh, thank you. I'm, yeah. Make sure you get a copy real soon. Okay. Also, we had so much fun working together that we decided to make a cup. We did a, a cup of common sense. It's super cute. We had so much fun. So we put that up on the website too. Cool. Because every time, every time I'm, I've got a cup right here with me now, hot coffee, waking up for the day. I'm always having a cup of, co- of something when I'm talking on the, on the pod. Yeah. Well, Chris, what else should we say, listeners, about documentation before I cut you loose to go have your day? 
Hmm. That's a hard one. What should we say? What more should we say? I feel like I said it all. So, um, I did get a letter from somebody. It's been a while now. I don't, I bet she's not pregnant anymore, but she said, uh, that she really, <laughs> I, I don't, rem- I don't have a letter in front of me, but it was a funny kind of thing where she said <laughs> to the extent that she didn't think that her doctor, and it sounded like it was a guy had a very good um, bedside manner. She thought that, you know, he was just, he was good at his job and he did the best he could, but he wasn't Mr. Personality. And then when you added the computer to the system, she felt like um, he was more interested in the computer than he was in her. And, you know, like maybe he just was one of those guys, put a tech thing in front of him and that's all they can do. They can't really relate to anything else. And that was sort of her thing. And the I remember that the question she asked me was, would it be polite to ask him to quit looking at the computer? <laughs> and I said, yes, 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 yes. Say, um, excuse me, doctor, I need to talk to you. Could you look at me for a second? Can we talk? Clearly, that doctor has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't get it. He doesn't realize that he's being obtuse. That's just how he works. That's how he operates. It's no big deal. Yes, you can ask your doctor to stop looking at the computer. You absolutely can. Yeah. What about your nurse? Can you do that to your nurse? You can. You can do that to your nurse. Yeah. Yeah. You you, you can, can do that to anyone. Mm-hmm. It's your experience. We're there to serve you. Yeah. So if you do say that to your nurse, your nurse might say something like, no, this is part of my job and I have to chart all the time which is absolutely true. That's true. Then you have a little bit of a juggle. What are you going to do about that? You and your nurse have to talk it through and maybe get the you know nurse manager in on it. For most patients, they're used to it. That's just the way they've grown up and they don't know anything different, which is a little sad. It's a little sad. It's yeah. A little sad. Yeah. Yeah. But bottom line, you ask for what you want and chances are you're probably going to get it. And I think that if more women come to their prenatal experience and their birth experiences documenting uh, their own care, boy, oh boy, is that going to shift the dynamic. I know, you know, a lot of people come in with birth plans and um, historically a lot of providers have been condescending as heck heck, uh, about that. I actually really love it. I love to see people setting down their goals and intentions. I love it, you know, that you you ask for what you want. And at that point, you kind of have to release the outcome to what's going to happen. It's not a contract. But I love it when people set their goals and intentions. And I look at it as a communication tool, it, you know, because I'm taking mm-hmm. care of a lot of people that I have never met before. And so I, I want to know what they're hoping to get out of their birth experience and what what their, what their ideas are and their birth plan helps yeah. me do that. Yeah. So yeah. I love a, I love so a birth what, plan. I love a birth plan. I do too. I don't like an ironclad birth plan where people come in saying you will not, you cannot, don't you dare that kind of stuff. Not ever gonna, cause you know, you just cannot give birth and be rigid. You just can't, doesn't work that way. You have to be fluid and flexible. Well, Chris, I always love having you on the pod. And I love being here. Yeah. Well, let's get you back on the pod real soon. Thank you. Thanks a lot. We'll talk. 
Okay, we'll talk again soon. Okay, thanks, Jeannie. Bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said. That's it for this week, folks. I hope you'll go on over to jeanfaulkner.com and pick up a copy of the new book, Mom's Side of the Story. Um, Check out the new blog. Sign up to receive our newsletter. And while you're over there, grab one of our brand new Cups of Common Sense on our shop page. You can tweet me at Jean Faulkner. And yes, I'll spell my name. That's J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R. We're over on Instagram at Common Sense Pregnancy. We're on Facebook, Common Sense Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. Go find us and, of course, email me, gene at genefaulkner.com. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great Mother's Day. If you're looking for easy ways to feed your family, I've got you covered. Hi, this is Liz Weiss, dietitian, mom, cookbook author, and host of the Liz's Healthy Table podcast. Tune in for healthy recipes, expert advice, and a big helping of fun. Come find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the Parents on Demand Network, or over at my website, Liz's Healthy Table.com. <laughs>